In Acts chapter 17, we're going to be picking up uh, here in verse 26 and to 34, and we're just going to kind of chip away at this. There's two, two perspectives, really, that something I think that will be very good discussion this morning, that we could get a really good idea where Paul was going, and he's trying to show plainly the Athenians, who I found out something a little bit new about the Athenians we're going to be talking about. He's going to show how God is not confined. So let's read this and see what Paul has to teach us this morning after all these years after he gave this wonderful sermon. In verse 26, Acts chapter 17, "...and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed that the, uh, that, and the bounds of their habitation." that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's device, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed among them which was Dionysus and the, 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 the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. I want to focus on the idolatry today. Next week, there's, there's some very important applications here that as Christians who are to understand that God is part of our lives every day wherever we're at, we need to remember that. And we're going to see this morning how most false religions today only believe in walking into their buildings and looking at something, and that's where God resides, and He's confined, the deity of God is confined to a building. Where that's why when people go out of their buildings, there's no worship. There's, there's no connection to God because they believe that it only happens inside of a building, and it's predicated on other people being part of their worship. Or something, or, or, or it could be a priest, it could be a bishop, it could be some kind of a spiritual leader, which they call, or a key speaker, which they call in Pentecostal churches today. It's very important to understand what Paul is saying here, and the two big perspectives we're going to be looking at, is God confined to temples today, number one, we're going to look at that, and then also we're going to look at, here we see for as much as we are the offspring of God, and let me, for, in, for in Him we live and move and have our being. And we're going to see what Paul has to say. Oh, I know the second one. I, I forgot. The second one is a very, very important verse in verse 26. And this kills the critical race theory. This is very important. We're going to look at this, okay? So we're not perfectly sure about this unknown God. But what we talked about last week is that this unknown God that Paul is talking about is the God that everyone has in their hearts and knows his, his law is in their hearts. And so everyone has a concept of right or wrong. 
If that's not true, if people hate the Ten Commandments and they want it completely abrogated and they want it completely eradicated, well then, go home and put a sign out in front of your house and say, please kill my children. Please steal from me. Please lie to me. Please commit adultery against each other. It's amazing how people hate that, but they love the protection of it. And you can't have the last six without having the first four. And that's the problem, because now there's this gospel theology out there today that says, basically, this is not these Ten Commandments are not the Ten Commandments anymore. They've been reduced, because of Hebrews, to two commandments. Love God with all your heart and love thy neighbor, but these are not itemized anymore. I heard someone say that to me a few weeks ago. That's not true. When you go into a court of law, you have legislation broken down to protect the American society, to protect the American people, and that law and the moral justice of it, until it's been perverted by a bunch of liberals, for the most part, goes to these Ten Commandments. And this is basically what Paul is trying to make it very, very clear that this, the law of the unknown gods, though all, even in people that claim that he's an unknown god, resides in our heart. So here's, what, here's where we're going with this. God, we, we, last week we looked at the Bible verses where God reveals himself to whom he will, and it is wonderful that he reveals himself to anyone at all. Deuteronomy 4.35 Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord he is God, there is none else beside him. Out of heaven he made thee to hear his voice, that he might instruct thee, and upon earth he showed thee his great fire, and thou heardest his words out of the midst of the fire. He reveals himself to whom he will. Has he revealed himself to you? You know that he has if you seek after him if you want to learn about Him, if you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, if you love His Son. He is our refuge in our times of trouble. Psalm 9.9, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Point number three, God delights in exercising loving kindness to those that know Him. Thus saith the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And this is a little review from last week. To just pick up where we left off, we were talking about how Paul was making it very clear to them who this unknown God is. This unknown God to them is a God that they had no idea. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the ultimate God that holds the whole universe together. And I think this is where the philosophers really struggled. They had all these answers about logic and being and the state of being. But how did it all come together? Who's minding the store? We talked about who's the head of a baseball team, the coach. Who's the head of, head of a, possibly a school or a college, the principal. Who's the head of a corporation, the CEO. There's got to be somebody at the helm holding this together. It doesn't just all fall into place by chance. That doesn't happen. And there's no such thing as luck. I hate, hate to say, hate, hate to bring that to your awareness. Nothing happens out of God it being totally, chiefly in view to our Lord God Almighty. Nothing happens outside of His protective care and His providence. So now we're going to move forward. Paul continues with the sermon 
It leads to the foundational facts of where the universe comes from. We spoke last week how God made the world. It's all woven into these verses. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He dwelleth not in temples made with men's hands. This is what we're going to look at now. And neither is worshipped with men's hands as if he needed anything. What does that mean? Can anybody help me with that? Lisa. Right. Right. So basically what you're doing is you're pointing us to his eternality. That's important. Because if he's not eternal, then something had to make him. Something had to create him. Something had to put him in existence. If he is eternal, then, he's, then he is perfect. Lisi. Right. That's right. Right. Amen. That's all. That's all good, and that's 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 the building blocks of everything we're talking about. And what that does is that enhances what Paul is trying to encapsulate here, and he's trying to harness the eternality and the perfect righteous power of God's omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Excellent. That means he's everywhere. That means he can be at anywhere at any time. You know what that means? Man cannot harness God and confine him to their own worship and pull people in to interpret that worship so that man can worship whoever is in charge of the church that tries to do that. God is not confined to temples. He's not confined to statues. And right here, where is Paul? He's in the middle of Mars Hill. And right now, they say that their deity is confined to all these statues. Now, back in the Old Testament, you would have many times singular statues. You would have Baal. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then we have a big one that goes way back. That's one. But now, as all of the paganism progresses, now there's a plurality of gods. Now there's all kinds of statues over the Athenians. They had the Greek goddesses, the goddess, the god of fertility, the god of sun, all the god of uh, power, the god of all the stuff, all these different gods. And then they have one called the unknown god. And Paul makes it very clear, the one that they don't know is the one that they need, which is very important. So I learned something, and I wanted to share that. I wanted to teach that this morning. I learned something that I thought is very important. I noticed something very interesting in the Old Testament. Whenever the pagans wanted to worship, they didn't go out into the streets and talk about Jesus Christ. They didn't go out and talk about how wonderful it is to be to have a Messiah and talk about the messianic prophecies like the prophets did. Do you think that the prophets of old that their job was not to do what we're doing today? Their job was to do exactly what we're doing. They were foretelling the coming of Jesus Christ because God told them to do that. That's why Isaiah talked about it. That's why Moses talked about it in the Pentateuch. Ezekiel talked about it. In Ezekiel 37, the, the valley of the dry bones, where God shows Ezekiel these dead Israelites and the bones all come together and they form an army. 
He says, son of man, can I do this? Can I raise these bones from the dead? And he says, Ezekiel says, Lord, thou knowest. He gives all the glory to God and he said, you know. You know more, you know more than I'll ever know. He couldn't even answer him. And this was the job of the prophets. But I noticed something about the pagans. They couldn't take a seven-day week and go out and worship. They had to pick their days of worship whenever the priest, the, the, the pagan priests opened the doors up for them to come in and worship Dagon or Astaroth or Baal. Their worship could only be confined to temples. Whenever they walked in, they thought their deity resided in a piece of stone and they couldn't do anything outside of the temple. During the week, they just did their thing. They, did all their, they, they thought that part of their worship was going out and doing all these wicked things like sacrificing children, committing adultery, having all these promiscuous relationships, drinking and all these horrible things. They thought that was part of their worship because they were spirit-filled. But their worship centered around going in and being in a temple or being in some pagan building like the Wiccans do today, and that was the central focus of their worship. They were taking a God and they were confining it to temples. That's what Paul was talking about. We as Christians, we don't confine God to this pulpit. We don't confine God to these chairs or this piano or anything. We confine God to His Word. And His Word can be carried out every day. Every day. And it's wonderful that we have that freedom. Lisey. Right. That's right. That's right. And that, that's, that's well said because it's woven into every part of our being where the pagans separate it. They're very predicated on their own works. And sadly, I think one of the worst pagan, pagan rituals we have today is worshiping at the altar of self. It's everyone you're justified. You're your eternal presence after you die is you are justified by death. Which that's what most people believe today. Hell is on earth. Everything's bad. Everything's hard on this earth. But there's no way that there's a God that would punish me for doing anything because once I die, I, we are all going somewhere, but it's not going to be bad. You know, how many times you've been to a funeral? Well, the poor guy laying in the coffin. This guy, oh, he's in a better place. What better place? To me, what a better place is, is stepping up from Chick-fil-A and going to Mission Barbecue. That's a better place. When you're talking about heaven, you're talking about the place. And, and by the way, and we're going to talk about this in a minute if we have time, there's a real spiritual warfare going on right now between Disney and Ron DeSantis. Yeah. See the idol worship in this country? And sadly, Disney is basically at the forefront of this fight. And there's a couple other ones, too. Jehu. Who remembers Jehu? I'm going to prove to you that what I'm saying to you is scripturally sound because Jehu was a prophet and he was told to gather the idol worshipers and he had a, he had a mission. Who would like to read? This is great. You get to read this. You're going to have a good day. Who would like to read 2 Kings? Not that this is going to be a bad day, but you know. 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 18... 18 to 27. Who could read that? Read it and read it boldly. I love this. This is fantastic. You can't get this kind of drama anywhere on television. 
This is incredible. God pulls Jehu together. Here, this is in the day of Elijah and Elisha. Ahab and the Israelites are worshiping Baal when they're supposed to be worshiping Jehovah. I don't like to say Yahweh. That's not a good representation of God. That's actually contemporary. It's Jehovah. And look what happens here. Who has that? Yes, all the way to 27. This is great. This is better than anything I can say. Thank you. Wasn't that awesome? Y'all pay attention to that? You hear what Jehu said? One of you men let one of these Baal worshippers out of here. Every one of them you let out of there, you're going to be responsible for your life. The Lord has told me to bring these Baal worshippers. Where did they go? They didn't go into their homes because they were worshipping like we do as Christians and they were all scattered having worship out through the week and they had to go find them. If they had been doing that, their lives would have been spared. All J.U. had to do was put a big mousetrap right up by the bale, by the idol, and they all came running in order to pied piper them into the sanctuary because that is where their worship was. They thought their deity resided in Baal and so whenever the proclamation was and Jehu... Well, Lisa's reading, subtle. He subtly did it because he was wooing them in to get them all into one room. He gets them all under one room and God says once they're in there and they love Baal so much, well then instead of telling them about me, 
why don't you tell them about Baal who they love, and when you woo them in and you pied piper them into the sanctuary, you take a sword and you kill every one of them. You see where their worship was? They thought their worship resided in men's hands, temples, and it cost them their life. And the Lord did that many times. Remember the 450 Baal priests when Elijah stood there and laughed at their altar? They had to come to their altar. Now, now Elijah could have went anywhere. He could have went anywhere, any time of the day, any time of the week, because he always was worshiping God nonstop. But they said, our altar is up on this mountain. You call out to your God, and if he comes, breathes fire down to your altar, then your God is the winner. But we're going to have our God, 450 Baal priests, go to our, our, our altar, and we're going to pray to him. And Elijah just stands there and goes, what's the matter? Is your God on vacation? What's the matter? He has no power. And in the second, they're all done, and they, they're all now cutting themselves and mutilating themselves because they're so absolute demonic. Elijah just says, God, okay. I'm going to not only ask you to do this, the Lord says, I'll tell you what, let's make this a little fun. Douse your altars with water. Because it's not, it's not likely that my fire is going to ever in their minds, ever be able to consume the altar if it's doused with water. He, he douses it with water by himself, calls out to the Lord, fire comes down, and look what happens. Now, he could have done that anywhere. This has happened over and over again. I want to read another story. The point is here, which is very important, all Jehu needed to accomplish was getting these Baal worshippers to their God, and then Jehu could attack they had followed right after the next vital portrayal of idolatry that really set the tone for Paul's works to the Jews and the Greek Gentiles. We can't miss this. This next story is very important. Once again, to bring together the application here, all Jehu had to do was bring the false Baal worshippers to their God because they believed that their God, their deity, which they believed represented Jehovah, which God hated, resided in man's hands' temples that they could do things on their own. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, here's poor Paul over with the Athenians, sparring with them. Where did this all start? Now, I know that there was a lot of wickedness back in the days of Noah, and the Lord had to bring that flood and wipe them all out. What was the hinge point of idol worship? What was the hinge point? And do we suffer from this today in America? All right. Exodus chapter 32, verses 17 to 23. Who likes to read that? It's another great story. Just, just as dramatic, and I think it, it bears a lot more impact because we're very familiar with it. Exodus chapter 32, verses 17 to 23. Who could read that? It's really not that much reading, but it seems like it. But it's, this is great. 32, 17 to 23.
thou hast wrought so great a sin upon them. Mm. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make a sign which shall go before us. Whereas for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we watch not what is become of him. So they asked the question. Look at this. Thank you, Lisi. That's wonderful. Make us gods which shall go before us. For then they're saying, we what not what this man is doing. They're basically calling Moses crazy. We don't know what he's thinking. What are they, what are they doing here? Where was their worship? Lisa. Right. John Paul Sartre. Yeah. Yeah. The point being, what, what, what I think that's a very good point, John Paul Sartre was, was uh, well-known as a French existentialist poet and writer. And his works, when it came to religion, and it's very, very interesting to learn what the philosophers believed about God and religion. We're going to be talking about that. We just haven't gotten that far yet. That's a good point, because... There's all these different perspectives on what God is supposed to be. And when, when these writers write these, all these different types of perspectives on the nature of God, most of them are perverted. You can't even begin. As a Christian, you can look at this and you can differentiate it because you know the Bible. That's how valuable Scripture is. But a lot of people fall for it hook, line, and sinker because it makes sense to them logically. It doesn't spiritually make sense to them. And John Paul Sartre said that basically God was a cosmic voyeur, peeking through your window, making you feel uncomfortable, always in place to destroy your life and looking to chase you for your sins. And that's basically how far that he left it is what Lisa was bringing up. And I think that's very important because I believe that is a real component on why there are people that only want to worship and go into places made of men's hands and they go and they outsource their, wor- outsource their worship. They go into the parish or they go into some kind of pagan building and they go in, they do their five minutes or they do their half an hour or they say, I'm good, and the rest of the week they don't think another thing about it. And you can see that happening on Easter and Christmas where if you go to the local parishes on Friday night, they're packed twice a year. You don't see them packed like that any other time of year. So we just read, what we're doing is we're reading and we're talking about how Paul in Acts 17 said, 
that God does not reside in temples made of man's hands lest he needed anything. He doesn't need our help for his worship. He demands that we honor him and we worship him the way he tells us to. And so here, we just had Lisi just read the account of here Joshua hears this noise. He hears it through the mountains and he hears this noise and he says here, let, let me go through this. First of all, before I go into this, remember where they are at to worship. The people of Israel have now made a God and they're at the calf to worship the calf. Do you think that they were going to worship anywhere else outside of where that calf was? They had gone around the calf. They're naked. They have taken their jewelry and they've made this and they're all snuggling up against the calf and they're there with this idol made of man's hands and to them it was supposed to represent the presence of God. And this is what happens. God had chosen a people unto himself and he had made a wonderful covenant with Abraham that they would be so greatly numbered that they would be as the sands of the seas, as the stars in the sky and he gave us a faith that was supposed to be different from the various religions contrived and manufactured by pagan nations. The Lord gives us a faith that if we look into the past and we have our faith and we, 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 we trust the Lord, we can look into the past and we can read history and read Scripture and see how the Lord is preparing to bring His Son the first time and then the second time. And we see what redemption is. We see what the atonement is. We see how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything to us as Christians. And that is our faith of the past. Our faith of the future is the anchor to our soul. Believing that God says what He, everything in the Bible came to fruition, what God says, do we believe now that what God says is going to happen in the future is going to happen. The problem is, as many don't, and we could see this happening and it playing out with the Israelites. Here we see that this was a faith that was supposed to trust in a true and living God that is not made with man's hands, as Paul's talking about. A God that we can have with us everywhere we go. And though we cannot see His person, we can see and feel Him everywhere. Here we see Moses comes down from Sinai. There's Moses up there talking to God and worshiping Him up on Sinai and where he is in great detail getting the law of God and he's worshiping God on this mountain. And here Moses meets Joshua and he tells Moses something incredible. He said, there is a noise of war in the camp. It's not a sound of the shouting for victory and it's not the sound of the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing that I hear. But this singing was not the kind of singing that they were honoring God. It was a weird sound to his ears. It was almost like a cacophony. It was, so, it, was, it was eerie. And Joshua said, I didn't recognize this sound. This is something very serious. The sound of the singing that I hear. He hears the whole assembly of the people of Israel singing lustfully to their new religion, and it did not honor God. It was to a golden calf that the people begged and imposed to Aaron, the high priest, to construct so that they would have a God that was tangible, a God that could be observed, a God that could be touched, and a God that they could go to physically and worship it naked. 
They wanted a relevant God, a contemporary God, because this was the contemporary worship of the days to build your own God and to worship it, a, a false idol, which God said not to do. Lisa. Yeah. What was sad about their nakedness? Think hard about it. Why were they naked? Do you remember when they left Egypt? How the Lord took the possessions from the Egyptians and gave it to the Israelites? And they dressed themselves in their beautiful clothing and their gold and their jewelry? He is the one that took all of that, I mean, it was probably millions of dollars today, of course, worth of gold and they had it on their arms. They had it around their necks. They had it as possessions in order to be able to build a new country. And it was the valuable riches that God had given them. And they took them and they melted them down. And they made it a golden calf out of the very gifts that the Lord gave them. That was, that was horrible, Lisa. Exactly. Sure, that's, 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 that's very, a very good point. Look at how we remember Moses was on Sinai with a relationship to God. He worshipped God everywhere. That, that is faith. God said later that I will consume them for what they did. Their religion had a theology that distorted and perverted the character of God. That is where religion has taken a very, very horrible twist and turn. Does it pervert the nature and the character of God? Paul says anything out of the gospel of Jesus Christ is superstition. And this is what he's teaching us here. What they wanted was a substitute for God. Does that sound familiar? A substitute, something that they can touch with man's hands and they can confine God into some idol and worship that idol? Dave. Right. Exactly. That's a great point because you know when Moses goes up there, what does he tell the people of Israel? Don't touch that mountain. Don't touch it. I'm going, I've been invited up there. I've got a RSVP by God alone. Don't you cross that line because he'll strike you down dead. I'm the only one that can go up there right now. And he's up there with... He can't even begin to imagine how incredible that was with him on top of that mountain. Being able to talk to God. And the Lord gives him stones with ten commandments. And he comes down. What is, what is Moses? Moses is so grief stricken. He loves the people so much and he wants them to honor the God that loved them. What does he do? He breaks the commandments. And the Lord could have broken him for doing that. And the Lord loves him so mercifully. He, he gave him another set. And he, he gives it to him. And Moses right now, is, he's heart-stricken because here's a substitute. And the Lord had delivered them out of the hands of tyranny. 
In order to worship the calf, just like the pagans, they had to find their temple made with man's hands and confine his deity in their minds to a place and to an instrument of worship, as Paul says here in Acts chapter 17, verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. This is why I hate all these goofy things you see about apparitions. Oh, I saw the uh, I, I saw the Madonna etched out in a pizza. There's got, there's got to be something spiritual about that. Or um, are these people are over at these walls and they're crying at these walls? Those walls have nothing in them. The Lord is saying here, you can worship me anywhere. I'm everywhere. David said that. David said, I can't remember the. It's somewhere later on in Psalms. He says, the Lord is in the abyss. The Lord is in the heavens. He's in Sheol. He's everywhere. And we, we don't just worship Him for a few minutes on Sunday morning. Paul says he is neither worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He gives life and breath to all things. Paul is saying God needs no help, no works of man for his worship that he demands and deserves, that worship is vital to our mental, physical, and our spiritual health. There's only one God to worship, and we see how far our country has gone into idol worship there are three things that are happening, even this last couple of weeks, that are just devastating, and it's because of a false idol worship. We see that government, politics, sports, and Hollywood basically have grabbed the minds of voters in, in our country, and it's so bad, look at some of the horrors. Here's three of them. I'll, I'll give you three. There's a lot more than this, but these are three big ones. This is the result of a false idol worship in our country. Number one, Governor DeSantis and the Republican conservatives in Florida have passed a bill. What's the bill? I saw a couple people nodding their heads. What's the bill that he just passed, that he did with the Republicans? Anybody know? Can I ask you what's wrong with that? Because when I tell you number three, it's going to blow you away. Maybe not, because it's so, people have come, become so insensitive that it's filth. DeSantis does not want the books that are being proposed in New York right now as part of an absolute requirement to kids and preteens and, and teenagers. Well, teenagers automatically have to get it. But now they want to bring it down to these little seven, eight, nine, and year old children. And DeSantis says, I want to stop the talk of LGBTQ. And I want to put, just to the kids, if all you adults want to go out there and you want to talk about it, I can't control that, he's saying, but I don't want the kids hearing that even in public schools. I don't want them having these books with two penguin daddies holding hands and then the other book I'm about to talk about in a few minutes. And he, so he has a bill just to protect the kids. And there's Disney, who's nothing but marketing for children to drag them into their lair, and now they're frying him for this bill. They're cutting off funding for the political movement there in Florida. And they've made an open apology to all the sodomites. We're sorry that DeSantis doesn't want to teach five-year-olds about how two, what two men do in the bedroom by themselves. Exactly. Right, and it's all very subliminal, too, to kind of just drag kids to it. I mean, to me, they should be tried for pedophilia. That's abuse, to expect children. What's that? They don't care about it either. Right. The, the, the marriage equality bill of 2012, House Bill number 439, at the Senate, 
down there, when we were down there in, in, in 2012, the argument was, is a homosexual by definition a pedophile? And I'm telling you, there was a war going on in that General Assembly saying, no, they're not, no, they're not, no, they're not. Even if, even if they're, I don't even get into the details, but it was really bad. That's number one. Now, this one is going to wrench your heart. I, I hope it does. I'm sure it will. Right now, there was a discussion down in the State House on Friday, House Bill 669. Has anybody heard of that, about this bill? Perinatal infanticide, where a mother can leave the baby for 28 days alive before she, after birth, after birth, not that day one isn't bad enough, or the day one of conception isn't bad enough, 28 days after a mother has a child, it's called the preventative, it's called the, the Protection of the Pregnant Persons Act, or something like that. It's an act of 2022. Maryland is trying to get a bill where someone can have a baby and let that baby live for 28 days, and within the 28-day period, if she decides she wants to abort it, you can keep it comfortable on the table and murder it right there on the table. That's murder, yeah. Right? That's right. I mean, look at, look at remember, the whole, remember the Lacey Peterson incident where that, where that horrible monster killed his wife and she had a little baby inside her? They actually named that baby. What was it? His name's Colin, I think they named him. And they named that little baby after three weeks. They actually named, that baby's a human being from day one. Moloch, yeah, but right up the put, putting the babies up there to, to sacrifice. And that's a good point, right? That's where I'm going with this. That's that's actually where I'm going, Lisa. Right. Right. Well, there's a journalist in California that found the price list of the body parts. There's a price list. He found it, and actually they went after him, and he's being prosecuted for exposing it. That's the second one. That's Maryland, and that just happened. That's working actually as we speak. That was on the floor on Friday. Uh, Dan Cox, who represents, who's, who's going to be running for governor in Maryland, is fighting this, and McComas with everything he has. Neil Parrott, some of these guys, are, they're rolling their sleeves up on this one. They've been fighting this abortion thing for years. This one, they're working with the ACLJ. That's number two, idol worship. Here's the third one. New Yorkers requiring grade school and early teens now to be required to read two books regarding detailed acts of sodomite relationships. Turn your back on God. I love that bumper sticker out there Mr. Berta brought in from a quote from Patrick Henry. You turn your back on God, the chains of tyranny will be forged. True worship that our Lord requires is a matter of life and death. And it's true worship that will stop this. We need to pray hard. This is being passed in New York. 
that even five and six-year-olds have to read these detailed cartoon books of what sodomites do. DeSantis saw this, and he, put, he, he immediately got the Republicans together to, to post this bill. Look what Disney does. Here's a couple of quotes, and we're going to have to stop, but this is, I mean, we, I wanted to get into the second part. It's very important. But here are a couple of quotes regarding worship. The worship to which we are called in our renewed state is far too important to be left to personal preferences, to whims, or to marketing strategies. It is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. Therefore, our worship must be informed at every point by the Word of God as we seek God's own instructions for worship that is pleasing to Him. R.C. Sproul. Here's a second one. There's a lot of them. This is a good one, too. If you're not worshiping God on Monday the way you did the day before, perhaps you're not worshiping Him at all. A.W. Tozer. I thought that's, that's a really good... I think that's a, they're very good... Uh, applications. In the final analysis for this application of God not being confined to temples or idols made with men's hands, we can look at the prayer of David glorifying our Lord as he shows the omnipresence of our Lord, as we talked about. And God, David says he's in the abyss, he's in Sheol, he's in heaven, he's everywhere. Our worship just starts on Sunday morning. And it carries on through the week, whether it's witnessing, whether it's in prayer, whether it's just comforting somebody that's really hurting and giving them a nice Bible verse. Our worship is not confined to man's hands and temples as if God needed any help. He doesn't need any help, but He does require. It's a subpoena. It's not, it's not an invitation. It's a subpoena. And there are consequences if we don't honor Him the way He, he commands us to. Let's finish. Um, let's finish there. I ask if... Um, um, Dave Heater, Brother Dave, could you close us in prayer? Thank you.